And we're live, another episode of The Oddest Couple. I'm Felix Levine, alongside the star of the show, John A. Light. A quick reminder, if this is your first time watching us here on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like the video, comment below, all that good stuff. Um, we're also promoting our new vodka, Legacy 11 Vodka, 11 times distilled, 11 times filtered, sugar-free, gluten-free. So we'll put the link to that in the description of this video. It's available in 39 states so far, so we're very excited about this partnership. Um, yeah. I think that's it. We have a Patreon channel as well. Uh, go to the oddest, the patreon.com slash the oddest couple podcast. It's also the in the description of this video. Um, very excited about that. All our content goes up there early. We have a great community there uh, of longtime listeners and our uh, most loyal fans. So go check us out there. Today, we're going to be talking about like basically the OG, Lucky Luciano. This is someone we've brought up sometimes in the past here and there, but we wanted to really devote a lot of time because this is like one of the biggest people in mob history. You obviously know a lot uh, about him and then also, you know, everything that you were involved with, involved with uh, stems from kind of, you know, his uh, his foundation that he set for the mafia and organized crime in, in the United States, really. Well, I grew up around that name because my father was partners with his first cousin, Charlie Blackie Luciano who's from uh, Jersey, the Lodi area, and uh, became partners with my father and my uncle. And uh, my uncle was a three-card Monty game. I used to talk about about uh, the involvement with them, with the nightclubs, uh, Hammerheads from Long Island. But uh, what people don't know about Lucky Luciano, and Blackie also, his cousin, was a made guy with the Gambino family, uh, recently died a couple of years back. But uh, what they don't know is he wasn't born uh, Charlie Luciano. He was actually born Salvatore Luciano, and uh, he's known as Charlie Luciano. But actually, his real name, I believe it was 1896, around that he was born uh, Salvatore Luciano Lucky. Uh, yeah, Luciano. 1896. Yeah. And he was, and he died 1962, which is when. Yeah, fairly you were born. young guy. He, he died fairly young guy. Uh, you know. For people who know, he got in trouble at a very young age, at about 16. I spoke about this and uh, fooling around with drugs and heroin, and he got caught, and he started talking at an early age. And uh, later on in life, when that was brought up, he said, well, I was a kid at the time. I didn't know any better. So he did talk. He did cooperate at a very young age. Why do you think he has, like, for lack of a better word, the clout or the the reputation as like one of the most badass gangsters of all time? Because of his intelligence. The difference between uh, uh, Maya Lansky and him were very close. They became very close friends. And he believed in something different than the old time uh, mustache peats, they would call them. They came from Sicily. They only wanted to be bothered with the people that were born in Sicily and they were criminals in Sicily and came here. They didn't want to even be bothered with the Italians in America at all. Mm. So they didn't believe in that. Uh, Lucky Luciano was the modern-day gangster. He believed in alliance with the Irish mob and with the Jewish mob. And he wanted to expand not only... At one time, he had uh, started a, a group, a uh, gang, that was called the Five Points Gang as, as a young kid. And his uh, idea was to grow that gang into a national syndicate, which he did he made the mob into a national syndicate. And by doing so, he wanted to involve the Irish and the, uh, and the Jewish and the also in, in uh, 
criminal activity, and because of the intelligence, he thought they could be strong all working together, which the old uh, Mustache Pete's, they didn't want no part of that. Now, how do you think, I mean, and and honestly, it's pretty forward thinking on his part, right, to like understand, especially when you think about New York and the United States in general at that time with immigration and the Jews and the Irish and the Chinese, and there's all these different uh, groups coming here, like, what do you think he then saw about how he could turn that into organized crime and to make it so lucrative and really take over and, and make it about power too, right? Like you have to you have to have a certain kind of vision. What do you think it is that that he saw? He he saw something that the the, the uh, Italians from Sicily didn't see. They didn't see the uh, the idea of expansion. They didn't see that you know we can grow and if we don't grow with the American Italian side, uh, we're going to be stagnated and we're going to be killed off. Yeah. They didn't see that. He did. He had a, you know, he had a vision that if he went with the rest of uh, these nationalities, like I just mentioned, and he also went with Italians that were born not in Sicily, in other places in Italy and other places through America, that he can set alliances, become a stronger uh, entity and. And it would be no more uh, boss of bosses. He got rid of that. He's the one actually established also the commission, and I believe it was 1930 or 31. I believe 1931. He's he established the the commission. So he had the idea of of unifying all the families across America in every city. And back then it was in every city. It wasn't just the five families here in New York. The, those families had affiliations in. You know, Kansas City, Detroit, it was all over America, Vegas. Uh, and he put everybody together where that commission would sit together and discuss criminal activities and share it th through America. How much did during, so you were born in 1962, he died in 1962. How much though of his impact, even 20 or 30 years down the line when you would actually get involved in the mob was still felt like were people talking about him was he more of just like this ancient character like what when people hear lucky luciano did they well what was the conversation about no he, he had a legendary you know through the mob because well you know this is a guy also that you know he got locked up early in his life uh i guess he was about 35 36 years old when they they locked him up for prostitution yeah and organized crime uh, he, and he gets convicted. He actually gets convicted to a 30, 40, 50 year sentence. And uh, he gets, uh, he ends up through Maya Lansky actually with the Navy intelligence and he starts cooperating with the government because of World War II. Right. So with the connections, his alliance is, is actually what saved him, which was Lansky. And he starts cooperating with the government overseas and with naval bases in Europe and, you know, as far as the ports, the, you know, where the ship movements, he was smart enough to understand that this is a world war that Molansky was, actually. And uh, he had, and it's his hooks that got him speaking to the naval, uh, you know, special intelligence and naval officers, which they end up working with him and they, they set a deal to send him back to Italy where he can't come back yeah. to the United States. And he gets uh, his, his case, yeah, uh, thrown out, basically. And uh, goes to, he gets deported to Italy, but he's still working from there now. So it's interesting too because we we between nineteen and thirty six and nineteen forty five he's in prison, and he's still working from jail. So as someone who's been in jail, 
talk about how you can still have influence and power working from prison on the street. You know, you talk about now, and, and this is 2023, you have the ability of family visiting, your friends visiting you, and in the jail system, it does one thing that uh, there's no way to combat that. They put inmates together with other inmates that make alliances with each other while they're in prison, and it strengthens them instead of weakens them. And there's no way to stop that because when you're moving a prisoner and from prison to prison, uh, the communication is faster than the mail system. We joke about it. And we know more of what's going out on the street than the guys in the street sometimes. We get messages faster because of guys, the influx of, of guys from the street going uh. to prison that were just on the street. So they're giving us firsthand information. They're passing it along to friends and to bosses. And, and in his situation back in those years, in the 30s, it was uh, it was much easier to bribe people back yeah. then, and and they still had the strength of the real mafia in the sense of if you didn't listen and you heed a warning, uh, you're going to get killed. And you know back then the killing was crazy. So now you're talking about a different era also, where people feared uh, you're going to get hit, and the entanglement of the government with the mafia it was entrenched. Did you ever put in any kind of orders when you were in jail? Yeah. Like? Murder. So one of the orders I gave from prison is when I go to prison, carry out a hit while I go to prison. So I was going to prison. I, I warned uh, at the time a, a messenger uh, around Gotti that the, somebody was going to be hit. Uh, he was ordered to be hit, so he's going to be hit. The father ordered, unless somebody tells me to take it off. And I told uh, my guys that were on the street, when I go to prison, hit them, uh, wait a week or two and, and hit them. And then when you're done, once the hit's accomplished, one of you's come up and visit me that same week or uh, give me a phone call and tell me. We had a code at that time. I forget what we said to each other. Something about the holidays or something. Uh, the holidays are going well and I took care of all the gifts for everybody. So I knew the hit was carried out. And I guess with that specific hit, what was what was really the circumstance? Oh, it was one of the guys that uh, was cooperating, convicted of a, of a rape, and uh, he was on the run, but on the run locally, um, and uh, tried to kill several guys. Tried to shoot uh, Jojo Carrazzo. At that time, was I believe just the captain. He wasn't a concierge at the time. Ronnie won him. Uh, he tried to shoot those guys, and. Uh, he also made threats against other guys that he was going to hit him. So it was a, 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 a numerous things that he was going to get hit for. So when you're carrying out those orders, right, you're it's with full anticipation that when you get out, you're back to business on the street. Oh, yeah. You don't slow down. Not the, all your rackets or whatever you're operating. You know, in my case, I was operating nightclubs. I was operating parking companies, glass companies. Uh, bookmaking business, drug business, uh, loan shark business. Yeah. They're still operating, and my guys are you know, controlling it for me and taking orders from me, and at the same time, they're coming to visit me to make sure that everything is still you know, running smoothly, and if it's not, I'll uh, bark out orders, tell them what to do, and I'm no different than every other street guy that's, that's in there, and no matter how big or small their organization is, they're, they're doing the same as I'm doing. I think what's impressive about Luciano's story is he was in there for nine years doing this, right? Which is, I feel like, a long time, too, when you think about 
at least from the stories that you've told me, like there's fluctuations in power, right? Like guys get hit, guys die, guys leave, whatever. They they rat. Um, but like for him to for almost a decade still be in jail and then when he comes out still be like the man is a pretty impressive feat. Well, he, the intelligence again, I mean, he was with the Masseria group, Masseria, whatever way you want to pronounce it, and uh, he had problems with uh, he had problems with Marizano. So Marizano at the time is the boss. He's he's uh, winning the war, and Luciano switched sides, and uh, he hits Masseria. You know, and one of the things that he him and most gangs is the loyalty and the treachery is uh, two things that work hand in hand and not in a good way. So, you know, when he understood and uh, Marizano promised him that he could take over all his rackets if he hits him, which he does and along when he does that, again, what is the intelligence of his alliance is he brings Adonis with him, he brings Anastasia, Bugsy Siegel. He's got a group, a slew of guys that later on become, uh, at, you know, murder inc. So, you know, he was smart enough you know, it's a lot of things when people talk about the mob, and I'm always talking about structure and uh, uh, fear, but he had all those things. He had the ability to kill and the friendships to kill for him when he couldn't kill personally or when his guys couldn't kill. And he had the ability of common sense, intelligence, and the biggest ability he had was making money. He knew how to make money, and yeah. he knew how to make money with the Jewish faction and his friends like Mayalansky, which is the strength behind anything is the money. So uh, he could control everything through them and through all of his uh, alliances that he learned at an early life that the old mustache peeds didn't understand. Did you, uh, I was reading something as well that I thought was interesting was like his first hustle ever was getting his friends to like protect the Jews and the Irish for like 10 cents a week or something. Yeah. Like that was the first hustle when he was young. But I think it's interesting. Like I think he understood quickly the power of alliance and the power of like, and in a lot of ways, I think it's also interesting because it, it applies to so many other facets of life and business, right? Like getting friendly with the right people or in this case, protecting the right people for a good deal. Then you just start to like put your foundation around and especially at that time period, right? Where it's not like today with all the tech and whatever, you if you if you could be like the guy, you were the guy and like no one could really fuck with you. Well, you know, back in those days too, these guys worked along hand in hand with the with the police. Yeah. Especially the local police. They worked for them. They gave them locations of where the you know the hooch was. You know, during yeah. prohibition, and so these guys had them on payrolls. Uh, they would also go after the other factions for them. And then, like I said, he started the commission. He was smart enough to start the commission where each each family would have leadership and sit down and talk about the sharing of profits. And where the the mob was going to move, and you know, in a forward direction, uh, he was way ahead of his time. But he understood that when he, when he had guys like again, when he had the Jewish, he, these guys were like his counselors, like you know, these guys were really was counsel of, of telling him how to maneuver financially. So um, one of his biggest accomplishments was that, and you know, is the idea of being intelligent enough to understand that in all the in in order to last you have to have these alliances that he kept he kept growing and he grew it internationally also it's something different than these guys did in the he, past he also uh another similarity you guys have is 
on I mean I think one of the first major occasions is that he like got like brutally beaten up or something in a in a cab or limousine and and you yourself you know as as tough and as you know crazy as you were like you also got stabbed up beaten up you've talked about that um I'm curious what's it do to you when you're in that status or that position and then you do get really beat up does it create more of like an anger in you or does it create more of like uh, i'm gonna go get my revenge like what do you think if anything it like fueled his fire it, it fuel it fuels the uh, your intelligence to say okay uh i gotta make sure i'm not vulnerable again i gotta make sure i don't make the mistakes i just did it heightens your awareness of the street sometimes you you forget a lot of guys forget and you know in the incident you're talking about actually he was hung in a garage in Staten Island. It was actually in Staten Island, and uh, that's where he got the scar across his face. That's where he got the lazy, droopy eye. Uh, they beat him for a while, stabbed him, uh, and there was rumors it was gangsters, and there was rumors it was, it was the police. I tend to believe it was one of the factions at that time he was wearing, it was the police, because they didn't kill him. Um, and usually you'd be killed. Uh, so he survived it. They beat him uh, to, to death, but the, he survived it. In another situation, I think if it was uh, mobsters themselves, they would have put 10 bullets in him and made sure he was dead. So um, the, the, uh, that just, I think, fueled his intelligence to say, okay, I'm no different than the rest of these guys. I can go as easy as somebody else. But it's interesting, too, because he... It honestly also shows that like the treachery gets passed down for 70 years later because when he's with Masseria, then he, like, switches up, too. Yeah, he, he, like, I mean, you know, it's like the same Masseria's shit. He sees Masseria's losing the war. And then he goes and kills it. Like, it's... Yeah, so he made a business decision, and, you know, so when someone's talking about, you know, I can, I can tell you these stories all through history to mob. There is no loyalty. It's about, you know, you got to know when to d jump off ship. How long are you going to stay on ship? As right. long as the guy's on right. top and, you know, things are good, they stay on ship. When they start seeing that he's that the ship is is sailing without you or you're going to sink, these guys jump. And uh, that's one of the things they do. The other thing is cooperation. So, you know, you know, I talked about Albert Anastasia, one of the biggest killers, prolific killers around. But he also cooperated and, uh, you know, gave up his guy when, uh, when there was heat on them. So, you know, he walked them right into the feds. Did you ever feel like at some point... Um... That's Lepke, by the way, so people that don't know. Did you ever feel at any point that, you know, maybe during like any business there's downtime or things aren't as booming, even though I guess during your time it was pretty booming all the time, um, and that you would feel the energy from some of the people that you were working with that they could be jumping ship with you? You always, you, 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 there's a trust factor always. You know, there's one thing I did learn from guys like him. I learned to make alliances all over the street, not just in the Italian mob. I had... I had more so uh, black friends more than anybody, I think. So maybe because of the neighborhood I grew up with. So I learned to align right away with some real street kids, uh, Spanish factions, uh, bikers. Um, so and, and I was international. So, you know, when you start moving around the way I did, and like you said, you know, you, you get used to you get used to the, the idea that you might get killed. I've been shot. I've been stabbed up. I've been batter on numerous occasions. It wasn't once or twice, and that's part of the life. And every time you, you drop your guard and that happens to you, it, it, if you don't die, it gives you the you know the sense to say, I gotta be a little more careful. I'm getting a little too cocky. I gotta understand that 
uh, these guys can betray me too, just like they betrayed other people, and I need to stay on my game. So it, it does wake you up to stay on your game, per se, and not to trust that much outside your circle. As much as you can, you got to start understanding don't trust people outside your circle, and you got to keep that circle very small, although you keep your alliances big. Did you read about um, what they called Operation Underworld? Like where they, Luciano in the state of New York had like a deal with, or the Navy in Luciano? Yeah. Which is crazy. I Like people should go read up on this and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher it. But basically I think this is during the war. They like, they, they came to a deal where the Navy, I, th I think Luciano was going to work with the Navy, yeah. I believe. Yeah, he was working And like the basically helped them during the war, which is still pretty crazy because he had so much intel and so much power. And honestly, I think they just realized that like the mob controlled everything at that point. Um, but it's a pretty crazy thing. Well, you got to remember the mob, you know, people ask you, I, I go through this all the time when people ask me about my international connections. And, you know, you know, everybody knows I travel around the world a lot. So I obviously I know people from different factions and different gangs and crews around different countries, whether it be, you know, Germany, whether it be Cuba, uh, Jamaica, you know, so I've been involved with guys from all these different areas. But when you're looking at the involvement, you know, that he did, he actually worked with the government several times. He worked with, you know, as a kid, he, he informed. Later on, he worked with local police on, they were on his payroll. He worked with the government, uh, you know, defending this country uh, in World War II. He still worked with them, though. So, you know, you know yeah. when people use the word rat, is he a rat? Is he not a rat? Uh, when Albert Anastasia gave up Lepke to uh, the police for the death penalty, uh, obviously that's a, a rat thing to do, but you don't hear them call him a yeah. rat because he was protecting the organization at that time by giving him up. That's their answer. So, you know, the rules change as you go. Uh, and, the, you know, the ball floats only when they want it to float. In your, was calling the shots. in your opinion, do you think that that's, like, if he's working with the U.S. government for, especially during a wartime, would you still consider him a rat? Or, you, like, what, what's your I, I give you a scenario. What's your interpretation? I give you a great scenario, actually. You know, Greg Scarpa Jr. Uh, got, did about 40 years, did a ton of time. True gangster, Captain Colombo family. And McVeigh and those guys, terrorists with bombs, he cooperated against those guys. And people called him a rat. And I'm saying, well, how is he a rat? He just saved regular citizens' lives against a terrorist. This isn't upstanding gangsters, you know, in, in their world, upstanding gangster, if there is one. But it's not against a gangster. This is against somebody that's trying to harm uh, regular families and kids and children, not anybody in the mob world. So I never agreed with calling him a rat. I was like, this guy's a dangerous guy. He was a killer. His father was a killer. You might have opinions about his father. You know, I don't have the exact intel of what happened with his father. And, uh, but I do about him. And, you know, the guy was, to me, should have been labeled a hero. Just like Luciano was looked up uh, in the mob world as a hero. I, don't, I never understood how they're saying a guy that cooperated against a terrorist is is a rat. And this, again, goes to the intelligence of a lot of these guys. You know, a lot of these guys aren't true gangsters, you know, like what I would call a true gangster. And, and a lot of these guys aren't capable of the violence. They're capable of hanging on somebody's, you know, uh, 
suspenders, you know, their their belt, their the loop in someone's pants, and being act like they're part of it, but they're not the guy doing the work. They're not intelligent enough to get away with doing the work, and they're not smart enough to make money. But that's why you have these organizations that are, you know, they, they think they're a big organization. So you hear, wow, these guys have, you know, a thousand guys, the two hundred made guys, and eight hundred associates. And probably weaker than a family that has 50 made guys and, you know, 300 associates because you don't have, you have a close-knit guys that are, are true gangsters. You're not just going around straightening everybody out, making guys and say, okay, you're part of our organization. You know, you're picking up garbage for us. Uh, you're, you're an associate. This is, this, is not, you know, this is not what that was built on. And, you know, later on it, became, it gets watered down. But, again... The mob, because of their influence around America, in the, on the seaports, on the docks, mm -hmm. controlling the ports. So he had the knowledge. Think about they're, they're talking about his knowledge to help the Navy because of the ports. Imagine the, the control he had in the drug business coming from overseas in these ports. So this is the strength of Luciano. And later on, the mob, where they understood uh, we control the teams as we control all the construction in the city. Nothing moves without us. What do you think the mob in your day would have looked like without Luciano? Like without his past and all the things that he kind of set up as precedent for future generations of the mafia? Well, I think there's always going to be a couple of guys, not one guy or two guys that are going to out you be they're going to stand out in front of the rest. With you 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 got to have the full gamut of quality. To be that, you got to be. It's like a know, ball player. Yeah, you know, you got yeah, you got a lot of great ball players, but you don't have superstar great ball players. Yeah. There's only very few Michael Jordans in in the league, right? Because, and and I'll talk about him on the court and off the court. Off the court, he's very well liked. He's well spoken. He laughs. He's smiling. He's humble. He dresses well, you know. So he did everything that's that's his image was everything that you can you can advertise in public, right? Mm -hmm. You can use him everywhere because of his intelligence. Now, on the court, he was just everything, fast. He doesn't miss shots, a hard worker. He played, you know, every second. He didn't lay off a second. He was constantly hustling. So, and the same thing in the mob world. When you look for somebody, you're looking for an intelligent guy. He was well-spoken. Can, he could be sitting in a room full of board members, of CEOs of companies, he could be sitting with straight killers. He could be in a jail cell, but wherever he is, he's gonna he's gonna fit in. Um, he's gonna dress well. He's not gonna dress like you know like a slob, or he's not gonna dress like a pimp. He's gonna dress with class, intelligence, and you're not gonna be able to know. Uh, I was thinking about that the other day. You know the, you know you, you go to a store, and and I just ate at a pizzeria the other day, and the, the guys in the, in the pizza place talking to one of his partners and. He's talking to another guy in Italian. I pick up a word here or there. But I didn't really understand. But I was thinking and said, well, now look at this guy. He looked like nothing. He doesn't look like a tough guy. But in the old days, he could have been the boss. He could have been the killer. He could have been the guy running things because they were humble enough mm. to do exactly that. Serve your pizza, but then run the streets and, and run the drug business and run the killing. Now, they're not. They want to be... They're guys that aren't out there killing. And I hear a lot of times, you know, of course there's capable guys out there that could kill. But those are the ones that are carrying the whole mob now. In other words, 
People who respect the mob, not from now, from the, our eras, when we were out on the street, from all the violence, all the killing, all the, the money making. Now it's a, a, it's a white collar industry for the most part. That's what it is. And a little bit of, uh, uh, a little bit of steroid, uh, you know, mob on steroids. Their guys are in the gym working out. They have no clue if they run across somebody like, and I'm going to use him again because I just used him, Greg Scalper Jr. Somebody who was really was a killer. Somebody that really was in their life. Because I could take some old-time gangsters like that, three or four or five guys, and if they're in a restaurant and the gangsters of today run into them, <laughs> what are they going to do? What are they going to do if they run into these type of guys? These guys weren't guys that were faking it. These guys were guys that did 30 and 40 years. These guys did get shot up and stabbed up. These guys did go out and kill. And those that's the reputation of these guys are the throwbacks of the Lucky Lucianos, the Benny Siegels, the, uh, the, you know, the uh, Albert Anastasius, the Adonis, you know, uh, Costello. Um, it was a different era of guys. And, you know, the guys, today's mob... Isn't that they could try all they want, uh, but they they just don't have the uh, the skills like a ball player. It's watered down. Yeah. You need to have the skills to be able to perform. You know, another thing you and uh, Lucky have in common, he went to Cuba for a little bit. Um, and then there was too much pressure, apparently, from the uh, from the U.S. Department of Narcotics or whatever it is to get him back to any then he went back to naples um but apparently i think he still once he was in back in italy like he still controlled things in the united states and i think it's what's most amazing too is like think about like the lack of technology to still have that kind of power and influence it's pretty rare like there's only a few people i think ever that can control the influx of drugs across the across seas not even during a time where there's like computers and well we talked about this earlier we have my partner marco was and i have pictures of that i think i gave it to you was we're close with santos traficani and these guys and and the reason why lucky and them were and santos traficani were in cuba so often is because of the money that was being made there and they were trying to you continue in the casino business there and then later on uh, Las Vegas. But they were smart enough to make money there and understood the seas were, you know, we were just across the water. It's a 40-minute flight. I would make it back and forth. But when you have this kind of intelligence to understand, to control like he did, these coasts, and you got guys like Santos Traficani, who was an old-time gangster out of Tampa from, you know, back and forth into Cuba. But later on, their families aren't. You have Traficani's cousins, the Accardi brothers. They own that 717 in, in Tampa. They, you know, they're weak kids that, you know, try to pretend to be gangsters. It would brag about their family last name. But them, uh, John and Jason Accardi and their, their father all testified against me. These are the guys that were cooperating against me. Some of the gangsters that were testifying and giving information against me. So you can't have an organization like you used to have and have these type of guys because this is what you have now with the watered down so-called mob. These ain't street kids. Actually, they're weak kids completely on the street besides that. Just talk a lot. Who in your generation do you feel like was on the level of Lucky? Uh, 
There was very few guys that, you know, you, you learned to have a respect for as gangsters that was one. I always talk about Johnny Knick. You know, Johnny Knick, he was, you know, he wasn't like, he, he dressed well, but he wasn't educated that, but he was street educated, very smart, very loyal, uh, was loyal enough to Gotti that he went and he did 50 years when he could have did nine. I just never understood that. When he did that, I never understood that. He like, why, did why, did he, why did he do that? I don't know why he did it. I can't never figure it out because he wasn't that type of guy to listen like that. He listened as far as, you know, he was loyal to the, to the organization. He was loyal to Gotti to be a killer. He was a big money maker. He loved to have fun, drove Harleys. And all the guys, I always said I liked him. I always liked him, respected him because he was a legitimate tough guy. He was a nice guy. He was nice to everybody. Just don't cross him. And if you cross him, that was part of the mob world. And I understood that part. But the loyalty part, he was very loyal to his adopted son. Uh, he was very loyal to Gotti. He was very tough. He was very intelligent when it came to street dress. Though. Dressed well. You know, he was good dresser when he wanted to dress. He had a good family life. He was good with, you know, he had a good wife since they were kids. I never really ever had anything to say bad about him. Uh, I always thought he was a gangster's gangster. If you want to be a gangster, you want to role model yourself from him. And Joey Scopo, uh, who was one of the Colombo guys and uh, became one of the bosses, acting bosses of a faction of the Colombo family, was a tough, tough guy. Even when they, they killed him, uh, he was tough all the way to the end when he knew he was going to die. He, and uh, just a really soft-spoken gentleman, nice guy, just a really nice guy. These guys, if they were in some other part of life, they would have been very, very successful. But uh, and Joey Scope, I've never had a bad word. He's such a nice, one of the nicest guys you ever meet in the street. And so was Blackie Luciano, Charlie uh, Charlie Luciano's uh, cousin, who was a made guy. And Blackie was another very soft-spoken guy and very. And my dad would tell me all the time. My father wasn't a gangster. He was a gambler, you know, a street fighter with his hands and boxing. He hung around all these guys. He knew Vito Genovese. He knew everybody. But he was very close with Blackie. And he'd say one thing about Blackie, you will never degrade you in front of nobody. Always a gentleman, always generous. And that, that's how Joey Scopa was. Johnny Koenig was the same way. Very Always joking, always laughing. Uh, Speedboats and Holly David, not your typical mobster. You know, drove nice cars, you know, drove those uh, cars. But he liked to have fun. And, and, and again, family guy does not anything I can actually say about him that was uh, something negative. How do you feel like you and Lucky are similar? I I think because of first you know I I know and and guys will tell me you're very smart on the street. I'm like yeah well my competition isn't too tough. <laughs> it's not too stiff. It's not. If you put me in a board full of CEOs, then I'd say okay well in front of you know lawyers or somebody. But most of these guys honestly are dumb and they're weak. Uh, they they think they're tough if they got four or five guys with them, and then you know when you catch them when they're not. You know, then they realize, what did I just do? I stepped over the line. But I think that the intelligence, the ability to make money, the ability to understand that I didn't think about just the United States. I went out of the United States. I'm always out of the United States. I go from country to country. I understood alliances outside of, you know, this thing, Italian thing. Me being Albanian also, uh, being, you know, we're, we're violent. You know, uh, and when I'm in that life, it was a, a good thing that was so violent. But outside that life, I don't want to be violent. Uh, but in that life, that's why I don't have respect for guys like, I got to throw it in. I heard you're doing so good. Michael Francis is a nice guy. Hey, Michael. I had a, a good story about Sammy Gravano the other day, how well he's doing. So then pay the 3000 back, yo. See, these are the guys that Sammy Gravano I'm talking about. It are just, they're, 
they're full of shit, and the the way they behave, the way they talk, their history, is not true. It's and nobody, you know, some of these people are doing interviews with them. Don't ask them direct questions, and this is why they're getting away with it. And you know, they can. He, he couldn't shine Johnny Connect shoes. He couldn't. You know, these guys. Are, he's a fraud. You know, but he got away with it. And even the ability of me just constantly saying he owes three thousand that he admitted to that he doesn't pay back. You should be embarrassed. And he's not. So what kind of classy, what kind of guy, what kind of leadership role can this guy be? And, you know, when you look at Lucky Luciano, they dress well. He was intelligent. He was a tough guy. He was a killer. He he knew to be quiet. He was a businessman. So you got to have all those things to be able to stand on your own two feet. But when you start talking about, like when I'm talking about Sammy, and it's not because I dislike him. I do dislike all the character flaws he has. And he doesn't know how to be a gentleman. I even got his lawyer, Doug Anton, that we were just talking about. That he gave, that came through me. That's how we got him as a lawyer while he was incarcerated. You know, I brought him the lawyer. So I did a lot for this guy. And this is what, you know, when guys talk because they're insecure. You know, he's a shooter and people say, you're worried about, you know, a guy like him. I said, well, he only shoots at one guy every 46 years. So I said, you know, maybe when he's 92, he'll get a second shooting in. Because he only did one shooting. That's the truth. One murder. You know, he's not out there shooting anybody. I think he did two shootings total. The other one was a kid, a baby, an innocent kid. Had nothing to do with the mob. So you know, you know, when I talk about these guys, you got to talk honestly about them. But the problem is, people don't want the you know the factual of the history, the facts behind it. They they tell different stories that are just storytelling. And somebody said that well, he's a good storyteller. Maybe, but that's what they are. They're stories. They're not factual. I have a feeling we'll, we might do a full episode on him sometimes. Oh, soon. I think we have to because I got to go through, like, you know, the the thing about Gotti and he was the one that, because he lives off this Paul Castellano hit. He had nothing to do with setting that murder up. It's a complete f- fiction story on his half, on his behalf. Gotti didn't know him like that, never would have trusted him. He, he trusted Frankie DeChico and he trusted Johnny Kinnig, like he said, he trusted his brother Jeannie, he trusted Joey Scopo, he trusted uh, Tony Roach, but he certainly didn't trust him. And the biggest hit of John's life is not going to put it in the hands of a stranger because he was a stranger to John. Later on, he, he elevates him. And he can use Sammy. That's the, the, the thing later on because Sammy had nowhere to go. Well, we'll definitely, we'll definitely do a full episode, a nice hour long where yeah. you can go bit by bit. Um, what I think is also interesting, going back to Lucky, though, is that he never had children. And I'll read you the quote of, about why he, he says he didn't. I know what, go ahead, you can read it to the other people. I know why. He says his reasons for that. I didn't want no son of mine to go through life as the son of a Luciano, the gangster. That's one thing I still hate Dewey for, making me a gangster in the eyes of the world. Well, that's the truth. I mean, you know, when I'm in a lot of company of very successful people, billionaires in different industries now because I got involved in different industries. And it's an embarrassment, you know, in this little world of a little cup you know with these people are talking like you know nonsense in the backgrounds and their cheerleaders they don't understand anything about the life they don't understand how deep the life gets they don't understand the politics behind it the treachery they don't understand you know when i constantly saying the same thing well listen i was sitting in a penitentiary and 60 guys ratted on me i didn't never got caught with anything nothing absolutely nothing but when you're talking about you know when you're out at dinner somewhere and you're in good company of, of wealthy people, you don't want it to be brought up what you used to do for a living. It's embarrassing. It's not, 
this is not the way America, what you want to be perceived. You want to be perceived as an intelligent, well-spoken, classy, humble guy with character. But I think it's that in, does it. I think it's interesting though, because you know, one of the things that all these mobsters did have was family. And you know, when you see like The Godfather and you see these big mob movies, it's always this interesting dichotomy of like they could be killers or you know business-wise on the street but then they go home and they take care of their family and family is a very very important part of yeah, i think even status you, too you, and you, you can't do it part-time you know i just did the magazine living magazine with the uh germany you know it was the cover right a living magazine and uh they asked me those questions during the interview besnick did and you can't be a, a father and a gangster. You can't. It just doesn't work because you're going to be in prisons. You're going to have stress on your day and night. You're going to be out on the street if you're a real gangster. You're going to be on the street and you're going to be doing shootings. You're going to be doing killings. You're going to be doing robberies. Uh, you're going to have all kinds of issues where you're hiding. You're on the run. You know, and how are you going to be a, a, a father at the same time, a parent to your children? It, you know, it, it doesn't mix. You can't be a family man and a gangster at the same time. We try it. Guys try it, and they want to be good fathers and all, but overall, you're not. You're, you know, you're MIA because you're going to prisons and you're going on the run, and you're not thinking straight because you just did a, you know, you just did a killing or you just shot four guys somewhere. I mean, and the, for the guys that actually do that kind of stuff, there's a handful of them. They know what I'm talking about. The other guys that are pretending, yeah, it's easy to be gangsters because you're not doing anything. You're never going to jail. I could take your list of them. They never go to jail. They keep telling people they're gangsters. They don't do anything. You know, they, they do bullshit shakedowns for a thousand a week somewhere, and they go and they intimidate a, a, a citizen, you know, not a gangster. They don't go after uh, a gangster and go rob anybody with serious balls because they know they'll kill them. So, you know, they're fakers, and, you know, they're, they're what we call wanksters and, and different things. And, or, you know, you got the ones on the computer that they, they call the Rambos. But to be a, a true blue gangster is to be like Lucky Luciano and uh, Johnny Koenig. And, and I'll use Greg Scarpa Jr. again because he was a gangster. These guys could say what they want. Uh, he saved the lives of innocent people. He didn't talk about anybody that was in the mob world. I almost feel like, in a weird way, it's like forward thinking from lucky to not want to have kids almost for that reason, right? Where I feel like a lot of a lot of these mobsters in the past, like they their egos were so big that they they wanted to act like they were these like puritanical humble guys that this that the third with their beautiful wife and such good dads right but at the end of the day it's exactly what you're talking about right you end up not being a good dad because you can like you're not there or you go to jail or whatever right and feeling that kind of guilt and and i think for lucky he was just like fuck well, it like you, you get guys like carlo gambino right who was a very humble guy right carlo was uh, you know, incredible gangster. If you want to talk about gangster, I left him out. He was uh, incredible. But one thing Carlo did teach, he, t he taught his son, because I, I knew Tommy, who just passed away pretty well. And, you know, and he was not a killer, but he was a businessman. He was he was a gentleman. He was humble. And he didn't act like a son of a, of a famous boss, a spoiled brat. He just was a very kind guy. Mm -hmm. And one thing I could say about Tommy is he loved his wife. He was, you know, his wife would come up and visit him. 
He was very, very humble and close to her. He would hold her hand like they were childhood sweethearts at 16. It was, it was something to see. Right. And he would have never been to prison. He went to prison for nonsense, for uh, a couple bucks extortion, and he got tied up somehow with Gotti, with the father. And he was, you know, he was steaming about it, but he was very quiet and humbled about it because he was intimidated, obviously, of Gotti. Uh, and he's not a killer, but he raised his son the same way. So if you watch the the kids in their family, yeah. they were very good people. They were humble people. Um, so they learned, you know, some people maybe they got away with a little different. And I don't think Tommy would ever went to jail uh, also. I mean, very wealthy guy, but just a, a sweetheart of a guy. So when you're talking about certain guys, you got to look because they conducted themselves differently. So on that list, it would have to be Tommy, uh, you know, Joey Scopo. These are throwback gangsters and 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 nice guys. And Johnny Kinnick was just uh, uh, all around. I, you know, I looked up to him. I always liked the guy. I think the, you know, and we've done this show. I mean, we had our, our, a break in between when you were in Florida. But, like, we've done this show for a couple years. And I think the, the biggest thing, my takeaway, I mean, it's specifically with you because you obviously know you're, like, family to me. But, like, even meeting some other guys, not all, is that you guys are very, I don't want to even group you with the others, but it's very interesting to me how family-oriented, let's use you, are, right? And how, when even when I talk about you, I'm like, John's like, he's like a teddy bear at heart. Like, you know, he's got a big heart. And I think people that don't know you or understand you or, or or have spent the time and might only see whatever episode here or there where you're talking about someone, whatever, they don't understand that. But I think that's always the, the thing that I find the most interesting about the mobsters in general is that like, I do now believe when I first started looking at this genre, I didn't know if it was possible, but I do now believe that like you could have been a killer, but also a nice guy. You know, and it's a weird thing to say, but it's the truth. And I think what you're saying, too, is like, and it's exactly that, though. It's like you guys subscribe to this life of treachery and this, and that's why you guys did all the killing. But at the same time, it's so mind-blowing that, like, one second you can be okay with killing someone and then also really have a big heart in a way. And I think it's hard for some people to wrap their minds around that concept. If you don't get political in this world, the gangster world, I think that you can I mean, it depends on, you know, listen, I, I talk about, you know, John Tigg. I had him on my show when I did it one in Florida without you. This is a serious killer. One of the nicest guys I ever talked to because he's killing for the United States of America. He's a, a killer. I mean, he goes to bed at night, sleeps and, and does what he does for a living, gets up and he's ready to go to protect this country. And then you have guys like, and I'm going to say, and I can't stand the guy, General Milley who just retired. To me, he's what I'm talking about. He's one of these mobster wannabes that ain't really a true general. He's, you know, maybe he got stripes because he's political. They gave him pins, but he's not a, a guy. He's a guy that wants to go out and talk and be a politician. He wants everybody to see him. He wants to brag. And he ain't a pimple on the ass of John Tigg. So, yeah. you know, th that's what I'm trying to show, the, the contrast between the two. You can be that gentleman like John Tigg and be humble. This is a killing machine that when he needs to turn it on, he turns it on. Otherwise, he's a family man. He's a father. He's a, a, a guy that loves America. And no different. He's a patriot. It's me. I'm a patriot for this country. I'm a patriot for 
Kosovo and Albania. People know I talk about Albania and Kosovo all the time. Actually, on the last show, I was talking about the atrocities that happened in Kosovo. I'll never forget those because that's our heritage, our people, our family, our friends that are, are dying. But if you got to keep things in perspective. And keeping it in perspective means you got to be true to yourself. Like So these guys, you, you'll never get a lot of these guys, you know that, that won't get in a room with me because I know they're, they're, they're bullshitting. Yeah. No one's specifically asking them. And, and, and that's the people that are interviewing them because they're not true journalists. If they were, they'd be get specific with a guy yeah. like, you know, we'll use Sammy again because that's who I was talking about. You know, Sammy couldn't kiss the ass at Johnny Knick and, as a gangster. And I'm not promoting that, but he can't. And, he, you know, well, Joey Scopo, he couldn't because these guys were very secure on who they were. They were money makers. They were well-liked. They were well-perceived fun guys, right. family guys. I mean, Joey, you know, was... Just a, a different human being, man. He was just such a nice guy. And Johnny was capable of, uh, you know, when people talk about dangerous, the guy was dangerous, but he didn't act it. You know, he just was a, a nice guy. So, you know, people say, oh, you know, you liked him because you grew up. No, I'm being honest. I'm not just saying that. His brother was a different story. His brother, you know, I say it all the time. It was a joke. It was, it was uh, you know, they should have disowned him years ago. He was a crackhead, a junkie, you know, and that's sorry. That's the truth about who the guy was. You know, he wasn't normal mentally, had no business in his life. Uh, he was weak in so many ways. And, you know, he, he betrayed his brother. He betrayed us. He betrayed everybody. And, you know, when people say, well, you testified against the guy. Yeah, after he betrayed me and he betrayed everybody around him. They, a far cry from his brother. And that's just being honest. If somebody wants to be honest about the life, um, I try to be honest on my assessment of, you know everybody in that life uh, and the life is not a good life and you know so i say it truthfully the way it is but you still gotta rate these guys of of what they are you know as and sammy's getting away with you know betraying what he really is i, I think you know that's gonna be our next episode um just because i think you know it's not even to start anything really it just no, it's an honest assessment. It's, I don't got to, I, I could do this very But calmly. I think that there's a lot of like, you know, it, things that, and especially not, not to mention that he in a lot of ways has made it personal for you, you know, it, more or less. And well, with the money and calling you out and stuff like that. So I feel like in a lot of, and you've been very silent, but I think it would be a good time for you to respond. Well, I, I just say because, I, Another time. you know, when he called me out and he, you know, he tried to call me a liar and he tried to tell me I embellish and he tried to tell me. Some of the things you could say that all you want because you're gonna have some fanboys, but you'll never be able to sit with me and I'm and without yelling. I'm just talking about. I won't put on a dump show with them or nothing like that. I would just talk, you know, you know, quietly and say, listen, he knows how God he felt about him. He knows he ain't a shooter. He knows all this stuff. Uh, he's no real tough guy. This is all nonsense. He's selling a, a story about himself that's fiction, and uh, it's bullshit. And uh, you know, it's just what it is. The truth is the truth. This guy, I don't even know if he owned guns. He'll tell you he was in wars and doing what in a war. You know, wars, wars are, are guys, you know, like Johnny Knigg. Again, wars are guys like, you know, guys like Bobby Borriello, you know, serious gangster. You know, Bobby wasn't, you know, an intelligence leader, but he was a, a loyal soldier and a tough guy, a legitimate tough guy, and he died that way. And I'm not glorifying that. Again, I don't want to glorify this to the kids. I says, but... The, the, the truth and the factual part needs to be shown about all these guys. That's why I brought about Albert Anastasia 
was a known killer. God, he loved him. I talked about it. He looked up to him. But I bet you God, he didn't know that he gave up Lepke. I, I, I'm, he walked him in. He gave up his friend. And he gave him up to, to get the death penalty. And same thing with Luciano. He maneuvered. But that's the street. There is no rules. Yeah. They're trying to pretend there's rules here. There is no rules. It's always the rules that are for all these guys is they come first. That's why they're jumping ship and killing their boss and then killing this one. I mean, it's just the history of it, giving each other up. Joe Messina just passed away, the ex-boss of the Bonanno family. He wore a wire. At the end of the day, he saved his skin. He wore a wire. At the end of the day, same with Sammy Gavano. If you don't believe, if you believe in this life, you wouldn't have ratted, you wouldn't live in high in Arizona. You won't. You'll live it off here. You'll die here. You'll die in the street. But you don't really believe in it. So, you know, I just say, don't tell the kids what you don't believe in. I live here. So when I say what I, I, I never betrayed anybody. I got betrayed. And I'll say it over and over again. And I'm Albanian. And I live by their rules that they change their rules as they go. You know, so, you know, as, as they go, they keep changing rule after rule. And it's just what, what they do. But that's okay. That's what they do. I don't care what they do. I've moved on with my life. But I'm not going to allow him to bullshit about me either. So, And when I talk an assessment of Lucky Luciano, was he a highly intelligent gangster? Without a doubt. He had all the qualities of a businessman, all the qualities of a politician, all the, the looks. He stayed in decent shape. He made money. He made alliances and friends. He, listen, he was a full-package gangster. And anybody believes in the crap of the Godfall, that it's a movie. Did you see how he i think it's interesting that he died via heart attack yeah i mean he died it's, young died yeah it was like 60 68 67 yeah i think it was yeah some, 62 something. he died at 62 he was uh, 65 64 yeah, 65 years yeah. old he died something he was like born that. in 97 i believe i think you know if he was born in 96 and died in 62 66 yeah something very like that. young 65 yeah i mean in those days he died right. a little younger though so but i mean it's just in a way ironic you're a gangster your whole life and you die of a heart attack you know like i almost well the stress level is hard oh my god you know you you constantly somebody said it the other day your life's always in danger it's true your life is always in danger people always want to take a pot shot especially if you got a big name you know it comes with the territory everybody wants to hammer at you everybody wants to come talk about beating you up killing you fighting you it's just part of it you gotta laugh at it I'm, you know everybody wants the title i'm curious for you right like life still continues you're still going to have your stressful days now and you know how different is the stress comparatively of like you know a high stress situation now versus a high stress situation when you're in the in the mob it's a different kind of stress well cuz the thing is the high stress situation is the first time somebody does or talks about you you go do something to them right you don't talk about it you, you know that's why a lot of guys got killed because they talk too much yeah. and they didn't act yeah so I used to act right away. I had a reputation, obviously, of, of acting because, but now I'm not doing that. So you're not dealing with it the same way because you make an example of one of them, the next one doesn't talk anymore. And if he does, he doesn't want it to get back to you right. because he knows what you're gonna do. Right. And now that you're not doing that, you gotta deal with that in a different way. But you also lose your ego as you get older. And yeah. You humble yourself and you change your life. You know, Unless it's a direct serious threat, and not the nonsense talking, you kind of let it go. You know, once in a while you, you might spout off and yell and, you know, whatever. But you don't, you're not going to act on it. We all do But that. I feel like back in the day, you're also just sleeping with one eye open all the time. No? 
No, I still don't. But you didn't sleep great. I never sleep good. Yeah, that's true. I mean, how you, you you're not going to sleep if you know you live in the life that I I I have over the years. Did you sleep better? Well, I was about to say you sleep better in jail, but the I condition, did. Oh, yeah, I actually did. The condition, even despite the conditions, kind of goes to show that it's it's not necessarily the environment, but more the mentality that can. Well, in Brazil, because of the dangers, and you know, I yeah. slept in. You know, we were in a cell with 50-something guys, Klaus, and, you know, we all had shifts. So, you know, we were very close to each other. You know, everybody knows I'm still like brother to Klaus, and, you know, I'm always with him. And, uh, you know, so it's him, a guy from Italy, Nereo. I want to say hello to my brother, Nereo. He's from Italy. He lives in Spain now. He's one of the guys with us. So we had a group of us, and we would watch it when guys would sleep, or some of us would stay awake. So no one, you know, so we knew they were safe, and they knew they were safe. So, you know, we... We really were close with each other. Um, and, you know, guys like uh, Justin, you know, I go see, and Owen, the UK. We all did prison time together. Uh, you know, we're all from around the world in different countries. They're from the UK. So um, friends with guys from Brazil, still friends with guys from Turkey. And uh, so when we, we were there, I did sleep good there. Believe it or not, as crazy as it was, it people say, did you sleep? But, you know, I knew Klaus was sitting up. So I, he would tell me, yeah, take a nap four hours, five hours. I'll be up. So you knew that he had you and you'd be watching you. So you're good. And the same with him. He'd go to sleep or go, go to sleep, you know, and uh, I'd be up and I'd sit by, by the gate, you know, because we had the old style bars. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to die in Brazil jail. So people said to me, uh, you know, we had guns in there. We had machetes in there. Uh, you'd firebomb somebody there with cocktails. So it was a, it was a lot of different ways. It's a very dangerous jail. But when you had a group of guys like us that were tight, uh, and, and, you know, and I was close with the, the, the bosses of Commander Vermelo, and the lady talked about her earlier. She said Red Command, and she speaks Portuguese. She's not familiar with the terminology, I guess. Obviously, she's not a street person, so she's a journalist. But uh, we were close with them, too, so we had control of a big faction of the jails. I think that's it for uh, for today's episode on, on Lucky, and then obviously touched on some other topics but i think in general just to wrap it's it's very interesting to see the patterns you know like everybody always says history repeats itself and this is another great example right like lucky started the trends or started the strategies the foundations the um partnerships that are needed to have success in the mob and then you know it was guys like you that then carried it over 30 40 50 years later more or less the same thing right except and then and then you know obviously five families get taken down and yada yada but it's uh history does repeat itself you know and and i think even like one of the big morals of the show too is unfortunately history can repeat itself and but you're also a good example of like you learn from your own mistakes, right? Where you could you could have easily came out of jail and done the same shit that you were doing again. Well, it crosses your mind all the time to kill guys that are talking against you or talking nonsense <laughs> or trying to make. Yeah, that's being honest. Yeah, you just I just don't do it. Yeah, uh, and then I also advocate for the guys that are in jail yeah. wrongly, like Oscar Lugo. Right, I talk about Oscar all the time. I talk about the Duca brothers, the Albanian brothers that went to jail for terror. They're not terrorists, and you know I'm sorry that people say, well, you're sticking up them because they're Albanian. If they were terrorists, I wouldn't stick up from the Albania. I'll make that clear. You know, I don't hedge what I say. Yeah.
but they don't belong in prison. The system's broken a lot of ways because these guys are doing life and Oscar's doing 440 years without any violence at yeah. all yeah. in his history, not even in prison. So, you know, I, I, you know, I say what I say and I advocate by some of these cases because I feel terrible for what's going yeah. on with their lives. And I got a second chance. I'm hoping these guys get one. 100%. Well, thank you guys so much for watching this episode. Um, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at John A. Light at Felix.Levine. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to our channel right now. Hit that like button, comment, share with your friends. Join our Patreon channel that's in the link is in the description of this video. Um, and these are Tom Ford's, but everybody's always asking me what glasses have I been wearing now. Tom Ford's, you like them? <laughs> they were a gift. Thank you for the gift. Um, yeah, and happy uh, belated birthday. That's a couple days ago. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you guys next week. See everybody.